Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at baltimoresportsreport.com. You're listening to Baltimoreans, the home of the all-weather fan. My name is Sam Dingman. This is Alan Smith. Let's get stupid. Baltimoreans. Hello, Baltimoreans. How are y'all doing? We got a little request for you today. We certainly do. Um, ladies and gentlemen, uh, as you remember, earlier in this summer, uh, there was a big falderall. A kerfuffle. Uh, a kerfuffle about a series of podcasts, uh, many of them are, are Orioles podcast brethren, disappearing from the iTunes store. And it was later blamed on a technical snafu, uh, which Major League Baseball said was Apple's fault, and Apple said was Major League Baseball's fault. Uh, meanwhile, speculation was rampant uh, on this show by our, our guest, Wendy Thurm, as well as elsewhere, that what was really going on was that Major League Baseball was looking to make a play in the podcast space by establishing official team podcast outlets to replace all of the wonderful shows that we and other people have been working so hard to bring you on a weekly basis. We have since discovered that she was quite prescient. <laughs> she was 100% correct. On point. And now, if you go to, uh, this is a little experiment, go to the, the iTunes store and search for Baltimoreans. Uh, as of tonight, uh, September 23rd at 10.15 p.m. when I last tried this, the fifth result in the iTunes store in the podcast section, when you put in Baltimoreans, is MLB.com Advanced Media's official Baltimore Orioles podcast. Now, uh, a little bit more research on my part uh, revealed that there is a similar podcast for each of the other Major League Baseball teams, and it's very clear that what Wendy suggested was the case um, has actually come to pass, and Major League Baseball is trying to muscle its way, at minimum, is trying to enter the podcast arena with these official outlets, uh, because they can tell that podcasts are very popular and that they have big followings. So we would really appreciate it, um, and we uh, certainly realize the the it's never fun to start a podcast with a long plea like this. But we would really appreciate it if you would take one or two minutes of your time. Uh, it will probably be one. I'm going to say thirtieth of the podcast we're about to record in terms of time, and go to iTunes, give us a review, um, one, two, five stars, whatever you feel we deserve, but give us some sort of recognition that you're out there and listening, because as these new MLB brand podcasts start popping, we're going to have to do a little bit more to defend our little corner of the internet, and we would really very much appreciate your help in doing that. And thank you very much, by the way, to all of the good folks out there who have already left us an, I an iTunes review. We really appreciate it. Um, but we think that this is going to be an important way of establishing that uh, we have been doing this for a long time. And that's not to say that the Orioles shouldn't have their own official podcast. But we want to make sure that it's clear that we have uh, established ourselves in this space alongside all of our sister wife podcasts on the Baltimore Sports Report Network, who, if you enjoy their shows too, please go give them a review as well. Um, this is by no means something that we're trying to say should be confined to just us. It's more about um, just demonstrating in a public forum that Major League Baseball can't just come into this media space and suddenly rewrite the entire landscape. Because we do have, um, here on episode 108, 107 other hours 
um, back there in our archives. And, you know, for those of you who uh, joined us back in 2012 when we thought this would be purely an on-air therapy session, then, you know, those those numbers of podcasts mean something and we would like it to continue to mean something. Yeah. So thank you very much from the bottom of our hearts, as we have said many times for listening at all. We really appreciate the opportunity to share the wonderful experience that making this show is for us with you on a weekly basis. And if you could do us this one small favor, it'll take you 30 seconds to go to the iTunes store. You can even do it from your phone. I discovered recently when I was leaving a review for another show. Um, and and just, uh, you know, leave us a review in the iTunes store because these things mean a lot in terms of the way Apple um, publicizes things and, and processes uh, the statistics and, and makes things show up in search results. So uh, it's a little thing that, that will help us out very much, and we really appreciate it. And here on episode 108, which I just mentioned, uh, it, is, it is apropos that the uh, 108 is the number of beads on the traditional um, Buddhist mala, the Buddhist <laughs> uh, device that Hindus actually and Buddhists use to count their prayers. Because it's apropos because 108 in the Buddhist faith suggests that there are said to be 108 lies that humans tell. Uh, and that there are said to be 108 human delusions or, or forms of ignorance that exist in the world. Um, fortunately, on this podcast, we are a constant mala, cornucopia, because literally all forms of lies and delusion can be found here. <laughs> so if you've appreciated those lies and delusions over the last 108 episodes, help us out. And now we'll get on with uh, talking about baseball. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, uh, as as you are aware, if unless you've been living under a rock, the Baltimore <laughs> Orioles are the 2014 American League East Division champions, capturing the title for the first time since 1997. So, Sam, where were you in 1997 when we clinched the division? No, just in in life. In life. Well, you know, I was thinking about this. I was trying to remember what what was it for me that the division championship signified when I was when when in, in 1997 and I was 15 years old at that time in my life it was sort of early high school and I remember feeling in a very very significant way that my friend group was was starting to change and for me I had uh, been a very shy kid who had never really uh connected with people very much I had sort of kept to myself until I was 12 and then something happened when I was in sixth grade and all of a sudden I, I became very extroverted and I started joking around with people more and all of a sudden I had this big community of friends and I would get invited to parties at Susan Komorowski's house and there was slow dance music and and Oreos and it was a whole thing um, and I remember that feeling very significant for me, but then in early high school this thing started to happen where people started to drink, they started to date, and I didn't make the cut for mm. for whatever reason. And I had not really thought about this before um, thinking about this for the show tonight, but that was the time when my uh, interest in and love of the Orioles really spiked 
hard. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure a lot of that had to do with the fact that the team was more relevant than it had ever been. That was right in the midst of all the hubbub about Cal Ripken breaking Lou Gehrig's streak. Um, th- I mean, there was a lot of just raw Orioles goodness to love and pay attention to. But I think I glommed onto it even harder than I would have otherwise because I was experiencing all these other shifts in my life. And I, I think on some level I needed to feel like, well, I don't have anybody who's a real person that I know in my life to connect to. Hmm. So I'm going to connect as hard as I can to this, the, the story of this team winning the division and, and knowing as much about it as I can. What about you? Um, so, as I think as as I have expressed on this show before, um, the moment where Jeffrey Mayer takes um, Derek Jeter's home run, mm-hmm. takes Derek Jeter's fly ball and makes it into a home run, is the moment where I sort of figured out that there was no justice in the world. Yeah. And I, I sort of think of it as akin to when many people discover there's no Santa Claus. <laughs> um, but I, I wasn't really a baseball fan yet. Uh-huh. I, I was sort of a baseball fan, but we grew up in I grew up in Southern Virginia, uh, further away from the Baltimore market. We didn't have a television, so there was no way to watch the team, um, and there wasn't really a lot of radio. So I was kind of following them when I was following them through um, box scores mm-hmm. in the newspaper, which is it, it's an okay way to follow them. But because I I think I'd been to one game at that point in my life, I didn't have a deep yeah. connection to the team. Um, so the 97 team for me sort of falls in that same space. Yeah. 97 was the summer after I graduated from middle school. Uh, it was a particularly tumultuous summer for me because I was leaving the friendly confines of this happy, hippy-dippy private school that I've been going to for a long time and jumping into high school <laughs> and all of the sort of accoutrement that came with that, um, which for me was getting beat up and bullied and sort of like yeah being in this weird weird place in the in the right as the orioles were kind of being very good i'm imagining um, like 14 15 year old alan leaving a school where he says to people we don't have a tv at my house and your fellow students are like oh us either and going right. to one where it's like bro bro did you see uh <laughs> did you watch the Cavs last night bro kind of except for it's the cowboys and there's a deeper twang than that <laughs> No, I'm pretty sure everybody in Nelson <laughs> County talks like they're from the Bronx. Yeah, I think that's sorry. Fair. Talks like they're a cartoon character from, <laughs> from the, Bronx. the Bronx. So you know, I'm I felt uh, accurately or not that, um, you know, both that the Orioles were perpetually going to be good at that point in my life, and that I didn't have a deep like they they were someone I could come back and check in with later once I got my shit together. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until two or three years later. When I was painting houses over the summer and I was sort of like getting down off the roof every day where I had lost gallons and gallons of sweat um, and collapsing under a tree with uh, Orioles radio, which had that by that point become a thing that I could do um, and listening to the Orioles games and listening to, um, you know, the team begin what we, <laughs> we we now know to be a long and deleterious slide into obscurity um, <laughs> that I sort of retroactively began to appreciate the 97 team more. Oh, uh, okay. Um, I don't think I really glommed onto them. And in some ways, that's why this year has been so amazing to me because I knew that they existed and they were my team as much as I had a team. But it wasn't until a few years and and feeling like I had 
um, some more time and energy to devote to them that I, I sort of retroactively learned of the legend of 97. Yeah. Okay. How, how do you feel when you think back on that person? That you were. That's really interesting because, like I said, I didn't really bond. I didn't really bond with this version of the Orioles. I think I, I really bonded with like the maybe the two thousand Orioles, mm-hmm. um, which is not a particularly you know bondable year. Not because, a lot to uh, write home about there. Right. I mean, you know, I and and, and actually, it's it's like as Ponsing was on his way up and Musina was on his way out. Mm-hmm. That was sort of the team that I I grew to care about a little bit more so so the 1997 team um for me because that was such a bad year and because i have literally no nostalgia for that year at all in my life um the team is something that's a little bit more historical Mm -hmm. like i can't i can't connect to it because i hated everything that was that summer Uh like that that was a summer where i went to there's a really interesting thing that happens at all boys uh, sports camps, um, <laughs> which I'm sure y'all know all about out there in Baltimore on's land. But um, on, on either side of on either side of the the bullier or bullyy um, coin. But man, when you are the one kid who is the kicking boy for a hundred person basketball camp, as I was at the Jeff Jones Memorial Basketball Camp at the University of Virginia in the summer of 1997. Yo, bro, um, bro, did you watch the Cavs <laughs> last night, bro? Yeah, exactly. Actually, the, the, the my, my chief tormentors were, in fact, from the Bronx. Um, <laughs> two dudes uh, from, the, from the Bronx. But that summer was the beginning of the realization that I didn't know how to, like, exist in the real world. Yeah. The world of the real. Yeah. And then that carried on into October very really, very significantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and because I didn't have, like, you know, that was probably, you know, I would say that things have been on a steady trajectory upwards from there for me. Right, right. Uh, and and that the that the, the the long moral path of Allen's universe is bending towards justice, but <laughs> it was slow to get going um, in that particular season. And as a result, I didn't, yeah, it, it, I didn't appreciate what was happening, except for to say that I I was sort of like tangentially aware of it. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's interesting because the thing I'm trying to reconcile is that I remember, like I was saying, that feeling in 97 of leaning as hard as I could Mm. on the 1997 American League East Division champion wire-to-wire Orioles as a pillar of emotional support for me. Whereas now, despite the fact that I don't maybe feel like every road is equally viable for me as much as I did when I was 15. And despite the fact that I don't necessarily, you know, I've been going through some personal difficulties lately. And despite the fact that I feel a little bit lost professionally, um, I weirdly don't feel as reliant on the Orioles success for me to feel good on a given day. I know that, that, as as great as the team is, you know, in all of the on-field ways that we talk about incessantly on this show, I know that, you know, a certain amount of it could be gone at the drop of a hat and there's not much we can do about it. Um, but I don't feel like I would be crushed if they were not in the playoffs this year or if they don't advance very far in the playoffs this year in the way that I was in 1997. But I remain as dedicated and devoted to them as I was and and much more so because now I spend such a significant part of my week doing this on top of you know 
uh, just sitting and watching the games. And I, I don't know what that change is. Isn't it in some ways, though, the, <laughs> the change of age and experience? I mean, isn't it in some ways like having lived through and survived that 17-year drought? Maybe. Because, you know, in, in, in some very significant way, when you root for a winner... The idea of not getting to win seems horrifying and completely insurmountable and terrifying. But then when you do it for a long time and you realize that, yes, in fact, the sun does continue its slow rotation, you know, the earth does continue its slow mm-hmm. rotation around the sun. Whoops, just almost went uh, Columbus. <laughs> well, I was going to say Galilean there. But, um, yeah, the, uh, the that you begin to have an understanding of... The scope of a 162 game season, how ridiculously hard it is to win enough games to make it to the playoffs, and how once you do make it to the playoffs, it's such a crapshoot. Yeah, I mean, when you watch a couple of playoff series, you see that the best team doesn't always win, and that hot hands often take things over. So it's impossible to feel quite the same amount with that sort of backlog of experience, quite the same amount of. Um, the deep cut of injustice yep. that would come from an Orioles loss. So, so I, are we saying then that it's possible to occupy um, or it's possible to live in this place of kind of perpetual loyalty to this team because we had the ironically good fortune of having to suffer through so many losing seasons that we have a certain amount of perspective in life? Whereas, had the team been nonstop successful for all of our developmental years, we would have grown up with an unrealistic expectation of success for them and would not now be able to process or handle the height that we're at, nor the potential for disappointment that awaits us possibly in October. Yeah. Like, what would happen, I guess, is what I'm saying is, should we not be as hard as we are on our Yankee fan friends who were reared, who are of the same age as us, and were reared on a tradition of perpetual success. We often accuse them of being fair-weather fans. We often accuse them of not, you know, being able to have any perspective on suffering or um, not getting what you want. Is that because they don't really have any experience of it? Being in the wilderness. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I actually also think that my appreciation for the game of baseball and the sort of narrative of people's careers and like, you know, getting to root for Mike Messina in the 2000 season as the Orioles ended up, I think 22 games out of first place uh, has given me like more of an appreciation for the finer things of the sport. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's impossible. Uh, Like the non-winning things. Yeah. But, but you know, the, also the appreciation of, individual moments uh-huh. i mean you know i i i don't I'm, I'm not necessarily someone who believes in moral victories per se <laughs> but i think that it is interesting that we all remember the felix pa cycle sure do and like that's interesting because there is a very orioles player for that period of time having as the orioles were having a very orioles season getting a moment of greatness just like just you know blind blind squirrel finds a nut mm-hmm. scenario here <laughs> but you know that that to me speaks of like 
what is what I appreciate about baseball. We were Sam and I went to the Orioles Yankees game yesterday, and uh, Ho- Jose uh, Peralta, Perella, Jose Perella gets his first major league at bat and immediately knocks a triple off the Dunkin' Donuts sign in left center field. <laughs> and it was, for me, incredibly exciting because, yes, it was against the Orioles, but it was the Orioles that had already clinched the division. They, they were not at risk in any way, shape, or form. And here's a 27-year-old dude who has an incredible number of major league at-bats. I mean, sorry, an incredible number of minor league at-bats and has never been able to make it to the major leagues before and hits his first his first hit at the plate is a triple on his first swing first swing that's a cool story and i think that that my appreciation of baseball has become in some ways a appreciation of the amalgamation of 10,000 of those stories per season and 100,000 of those stories over the course of my baseball watching career and that I think is a is because I would get off the roof of the you know uh, the tin roof that I was painting silver in Virginia in August and fuck that <laughs> that was terrible uh, you know it was one of those things where like by 10 a.m. it was already so hot that you couldn't look down because your sunglasses would just fill with sweat immediately yeah, yeah. just like a basting iron uh, oven up there and I'd get down off that roof and I would go swim in the river, and then I would go sit under a tree with my friend Kai, and we would listen to Mike Messina pitch. And for the first four innings, there was a chance that he was going to throw a perfect game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I appreciated that even as the Orioles were terrible right. in August and right. terrible throughout that season. And I think that appreciation is something that you only get from rooting for those kind of teams. So, uh, next thing I wanted to talk about, Smith, um, if I may, I received a, a card in the mail uh-huh. yesterday, um, and I want to read it to you. Okay. It says, congratulations, Sam, on your team, note the use of your team, the Baltimore Orioles, taking the American League East. I wish you the World Series success the Red Sox had last year and none of the post-postseason drama slash trauma to follow. I'll be cheering right along with you. Go Orioles. Uh, and this is from, oh, and this is signed Alyssa's mom, uh, a diehard Red Sox fan, and boy, did we die hard, she says. So this is from... It's very uh, sweet. This is fr- it's, it's really extremely sweet. Uh, this is from the mother of my friend Alyssa, whose wedding I officiated earlier this summer. I was not expecting to get this card in the mail. Um, right. One of the... Or one from of, that source. Or from that source. Uh, you know, I hadn't met Alyssa's mom until the wedding and, you know, sort of assumed that the wedding would be the last time that I really interacted with her. Um, and so to get this card in the mail, it was like, I, I just sat down afterwards and smiled for about five minutes because yeah. I thought about the fact that she decided to take time out of her day to sit down and handwrite in right. impeccable penmanship, I might add, <laughs> this this very heartfelt card yeah. uh, to me just because she knows that I really care about this team and that I'm probably feeling really good about how they're doing. Uh, and it touches on something that um, Charlie brought up on our Clinchmas episode 
which is this phenomenon of people congratulating you on the Orioles' success. I, is this an experience you've had, Smith? Absolutely, and it's probably an experience that most of you who are who have managed to make it to this podcast have also had, because you're probably one of the diehards, right? You're probably one of the people who is associated with the Orioles from your friends, from your family, from the people around you. Um, and I definitely, definitely have uh, have have felt the same thing to the point that people at work are congratulating me without really knowing who the Baltimore Orioles are or right. kind of what baseball is. <laughs> I, I work for a um, a very sort of progressive political think tanky type organization, which has very little overlap with baseball fandom, uh, and the people who you know people who I work with are, are lovely folks, but they don't have any sense of what's happening. Uh, and, and yet they're still sort of aware in this, in the way that the Orioles are sort of crossing the headlines sort of away uh, and coming and checking in and, 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 and giving me, um, associating me directly with the success of this team. What I find alarming about it, though, is that these are the same people who somewhat unironically Put me on suicide watch when the Orioles lose, <laughs> and I, I I appreciate the association that I have built with these with this team, and I and I stand by it. But I I also think that they sort of assume that I'm deeply unbalanced, <laughs> or that all of your self worth is is bound up in this thing. Right, right, right. That it is that it is a, a thing in which it's impossible to differentiate between um, liking a team and being that person who uh, is just ready to open their veins every time an Orioles, lo- an Orioles team loses. Right, right. I mean, I guess I was trying to think about, like, how should I feel about this phenomenon of people congratulating me on the Orioles' success? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and there's, there was a part of me that was concerned, in addition to what you were saying, like, do they think that I am unbalanced and, like, don't have my life priorities in order? Right. Um, also, do they think that I don't have enough going on uh, that's real and personal to me right that I require the achievement or lack of achievement of a professional sports team to which I have no connection uh, to to sort of like measure my emotional state now do you think that this is self judgment on both of our parts yes and this is what this is the conclusion that I came to I think this is one of the most wonderful wonderful things about being uh, a fan of a baseball team. Sam says as he brandishes the card that he just read from. Yeah, sorry, sorry. I mean, this this phenomenon of of uh, the Alyssa's mom's card phenomenon, yep. let's call it, of being congratulated. Um, because I think what's actually happening is that people are saying, hey man, I bet you're feeling really good right now. Or, or really bad right now. You know, like when people put you on, on suicide watch in the office. And... That's actually a pretty interesting thing for people who you don't know that well or who you don't count among your closest intimate circle of personal connections to have it occur to them what your emotional state might be and then check in with you about it. When else does that happen? I mean, that's that's a really wonderful thing to have as an outgrowth of your of your love of this thing. Yeah. Is that people associate it with you so much that when there is a major development that they're aware of, they're like, hey, this is a way to connect with Alan today. 
Right. Hey, this is a way to connect with Sam today. Or, hey, uh, on the part of Alyssa's mom, I don't know if this is what was going through her head, but for her to say, um, you know, I I really enjoyed that wedding. And, uh, you know, I don't know if I'm going to get a chance to interact with Sam very much again. And this is a way of... Here's an easy and socially acceptable way to connect on that sort of light, I'm thinking about you level. Yeah. We we share a, a... a pretty strong connection because I officiated the marriage of her daughter <laughs> to her husband. So um, this is a way of sort of uh, paying a little bit of tribute to that. And that's that's very beautiful. Yeah. I think. And, and I also think that the people that if there are people out there who legitimately think that the baseball fan in their life is a um, monochromatic single note sort of a person um, that you know, probably they're also the same people who you don't know very well. <laughs> you know, like the people who you actually care about know you as a multi, multi-talented, multi both multifaceted person. You know, the other thing that I, I did want to say about this very quickly is there has been a certain amount of, um, you know, on social media and in a lot of podcasts that I listen to that aren't baseball podcasts. Like I listen to a lot of comedy podcasts where performers are being interviewed and it's a very kind of popular self-consciously ironic thing to be like, sports ball, something happened in sports. Uh, I guess I should be excited or something. And then to sort of castigate people for spending a lot of time uh, devoting uh, emotional energy to the love and loyalty of a sports team. Right. And I, I would like to respectfully say to those people, I don't think you get it. Yeah, I I don't think that you I think that you assume that what's going on is that there's an emptiness inside of a sports fan that that person is attempting to fill with a silly game over which they have no control over the outcome. Two things. One, that might be true. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that (laughs) because they could be doing it with drugs or alcohol or um physical abuse to their loved ones or politics or politics or, <laughs> or any other thing and instead they are doing what i would like to say is my next point they're participating in community yeah they are aligning themselves with the value system of a giant legion of strangers <laughs> and some weird fucking strangers too when else do we as people do that in life? That's an incredibly rare thing, and it's an increasingly rare thing. And I'm not saying that we should align ourselves with communities without examining everything about that community. That's a big part of what our show, Baltimoreans, is about. Is like, right. yeah, sure, the Orioles are great, but Major League Baseball is kind of fucked up. Yeah. Um, Although, man, we're not going to get into it today, but the NFL has had a rough couple of weeks. Yes, yes. Baseball netting out well this week. Compared um, to FIFA and the National Football League and... <laughs> right. But, um, you know, one of the things that I think um, is, is I have been realizing is particularly meaningful for me about being an Orioles fan is I'm somebody who often doesn't... F- or being a baseball fan is I'm somebody who doesn't often feel very comfortable in my own skin. I'm somebody who often feels like they're on the outside of the main narrative in life. I'm somebody who often feels like they're not good enough, smart enough, macho enough, strong enough, hip enough, cool enough, whatever it is. And if you are a baseball fan, let's not even have it be a sports thing. If you're a baseball fan, 
you can go up to almost anybody in any generic social situation. And not only do you have something to talk about, you have something to talk about that makes an emotional bond with the person that you're talking to. You have a way in, in some small way, and it may be the only thing that you have to talk to that person about, but you have some way of creating community with that person and feeling a little bit less lonely than you did before you started the conversation. Yep. And that's an incredibly powerful thing. And if you are somebody who's like, sports ball, uh, I don't understand what you guys are, what you guys are doing this for, you know, I think it would, it would behoove you to, and obviously you're not listening to this show, but (laughs) (laughs) if you are, I'm so sorry. (laughs) If you have someone like that in your life, I would encourage you to maybe ask them why they, um, like, I don't know, uh, playing poker or traveling or reading subreddits about interior design, like whatever it is. Uh, I, I think that the, the, the sort of the sense with sports that you're connected to this larger continuum, um, of, of common experience, it's an incredibly powerful thing and, and it really shouldn't be discounted. Do you think that that, um, in any way, shape or form, uh, justifies or explains Ravens fans forming ranks around Ray Rice? I think it explains it. I don't think it justifies it. Fair. Um, Fair. Because, and and that goes back to the other thing, right? Which is like, I I don't think that our, our loyalty and our love of sports or anything should be unexamined. Yep. Um, Yep. And I think, you know, these are also all happening in the context of what is theoretically a justice-based society. um, (laughs) Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. one more thing that I, I need to get off my chest this evening. As I mentioned, uh, Sam and I went to the Baltimore Orioles' loss last night, so that would be the 22nd of September. We were one hit by Michael Pineda and uh, Sean Kelly, which was an embarrassing combination of things to happen, but it didn't really feel that important, um, possibly because the Orioles had already clinched, possibly because we were there on a beautiful night for baseball. And possibly because, uh, and here's where we get to the slightly contentious part of my statement, we got to watch Derek Jeter in his last homestand. Now, I am not here to say that I uh, forgive Derek Jeter for anything. (laughs) I'm not here to say that I in any way, shape, or form agree with or, uh, you know, have come over all soft in my appreciation of someone who wears the pinstripes. However, there was a moment when Derek Jeter was down 0-2 and managed to come back to get to a full count, fell off two pitches, and then hit a double that scored two runs um, to jump the score from 2-0 Yankees to 4-0 Yankees. When I got goosebumps, and I got sort of um, caught up in the moment of watching all of these Yankees fans appreciate somebody who if I were a Yankees fan, would hold a very significant role uh, in my life. And I was watching fathers explain to their sons the significance of getting to watch this man hit 
and I was watching an entire, you know, stadium, uh, two-thirds full, <laughs> peak, maybe, yeah. two-thirds full, um, you know, stand and chant for him even when he was playing the field and even when it was totally irrelevant and even when their team was, to be realistic, facing elimination. Um, and we twisted the knife tonight and now they're on... Five games out of the wild card with five left to play. So uh, I, th- I think it may be only because I'm in this point of relative safety that I f- was able to focus on these things. But how do you feel about a momentary sentimental soft spot for Derek Jeter? I was I was very angry at you when this happened. Uh, <laughs> and I have not forgiven you and never will. <laughs> I mean, it's not that bad. It, 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 for me, it's like... It's the equivalent of rooting for history because Mm -hmm. it's like um, when Michael Phelps had won six gold medals and I not caring at all about swimming, particularly about Olympic swimming or certainly about someone named Michael Phelps was totally invested and tuned in to see if he could get his seventh. I don't I respectfully I don't think that's the same thing because there is no history in your life of Michael Phelps actively participating in your heartbreak sure leading up to that moment which is why I I, so I I wanted to say that that I thought originally that I was sort of viewing Derek Jeter through this like rooting for history moment but in hindsight, and having a day to reflect on it, and having told Jake English this same story from Bird's Eye View Baltimore, one of our proud sister wife podcasts on the Baltimore Sports Report Network, that I had sort of had these feelings, I realize it's less the rooting for history and rooting for Tiger Woods to Jake break Jack Nicholson's record because I would like to see such a thing, or rooting for Michael Phelps to get his seventh gold, gold medal. And it's more the feeling that I get when I look at the painting that George W. Bush did of his feet from inside a bath. Okay. It's this feeling of, like, weird, like, revulsion slash compassion (laughs) because I feel like there's this person out there who has caused me so much misery Mm -hmm. and so much tumult, but in this moment I am forced, just forced against my will to recognize their humanity. Mm -hmm. And it's not in a way that I think is particularly uh, appealing for Bush. And Derek Jeter, until the last five games, has certainly not been putting up the season that he is proud of to end his career. He's been terrible. Mm -hmm. And if he were any other player on any other team, he would have been benched by now. But there is a a certain amount where, where I am forced to acknowledge, unlike the situation with Tiger Woods or Michael Phelps or anything like that, where I am forced to acknowledge a shared humanity and the realization that were he another person, I would care about him in this moment that I find like so interesting and engaging and so um, unique because of the loathing that I have felt for this person for so long. Yeah. I can see that. I can't get there myself. (laughs) Uh, And I want to say, look, I... I, you are never going to hear me utter a disparaging word about Derek Jeter as a baseball player. He is obviously one really? of the best baseball players to ever take the field. 
You not, have not, heard me utter I, them. I, I was going to say. I'm not going to utter them into gonna, this microphone. Are we going to talk about his gold gloves? We're not going to talk about his gold gloves then. <laughs> <laughs> well, but actually, this, that, that, I, I'll stand by my statement in the context of what you just said, because this is my thing. Uh, Derek Jeter is obviously one of the best baseball players to ever play the game. The mythology that has been built up around Derek Jeter, with which Derek Jeter has not a whole lot to do, if we're being honest. Sure. Is uh, Gatorade commercial. Is what incenses me. And I want I very much want to talk about the Gatorade commercial. Okay. Because um the Gatorade commercial to me is an excellent example of the problem with the Jeter worship. It, which is to say this thing flies around the internet, and obviously you've all seen the Derek Jeter Gatorade commercial. If you haven't, I'll describe it to you briefly. It's Derek Jeter on his way to a Yankee game. He's riding in a limo. He decides to get out and walk to the stadium, and he has all these supposedly spontaneous moments with fans where uh, they get to see him and say thank you to him before he arrives at the stadium to play in a game. Uh, and this thing flies around the internet it is plugged on MLB.com, which I just think is so shameful, as <laughs> Jeter has opportunity to thank fans in new Gatorade commercial. Listen. <laughs> listen to me. Derek Jeter receives, I looked this up on Forbes.com, Derek Jeter receives $9 million every year in corporate sponsorships, one of which comes from Gatorade. So he was paid some fraction of $9 million Let's lowball estimate it at $1 million to go out and thank the fans. So there was nothing authentic about it. It wasn't real. And everyone who has written about this commercial as it was so real and authentic because he actually got out of the car, he wouldn't even have been in the car <laughs> without the check from Gatorade. Yeah. Pure and simple. So if you're a Yankee fan or you're a baseball fan, who thinks that Derek Jeter is such a magnanimous, generous dude that he decided to spontaneously take this one drive in a car and and say thank you to the fans? You're lying to yourself. That's not who Derek Jeter is. Is Derek Jeter a Hall of Fame shortstop? One of the best uh, offensive spark plugs in Major League Baseball history? Uh, one of the most clutch, high-leverage situation performers of all time? Absolutely. Is he everybody's cool older brother no that is something that he has been very successfully marketed as to all of us for years and it, it it's a total illusion and and one of the things that i think is is very weird about all this is you know all of there's all of this thank you jeter oh my god jeter you're the best you've been so great for baseball we're never going to be the same without you over in chicago there's a guy named paul canerco <laughs> who uh, has had a career that's almost as long as Cheaters, who at his uh, at his height was a more valuable offensive player than Cheater was, yep. who uh, played most of his career for a much less glamorous team that didn't win as many World Series, but who occupies just as big and robust a place in the hearts of its fans as Derek Jeter does. And where's his parade? Right. Where is that guy's... Uh, you know, farewell tour. farewell tour. And I'm not saying he's as good as Jeter was. He's not. But the idea that that we all as baseball fans owe this giant debt of gratitude to Derek Jeter is absurd. I don't feel like I owe a debt of gratitude to Paul Canerco 
Why should I feel like I owe one to Derek Jeter? Sure, and and, and I, I I do I do want to to go back to my original point and say it has nothing to do with um, countering any of the points that you just made. I don't feel like I have any debt of gratitude to Derek Jeter, and I'm kind of sick of and disgusted by his, you know, long tour of of goodbye, especially because it comes right on the heels of Mariano Rivera. Who you know, like I, I I agree is also a great baseball player and all of the same things, but two straight years of celebrating Yankees is getting real real thin. Give me a break! And do the Yankees not get that all it's doing is pointing at the fact that their best days are behind them? Anyway, please continue. But that's exactly why I think this George W. Bush comparison is so accurate. Okay. Because there's nobody. It, if I could travel back in time and erase one person from the annals of American history. I might pick George W. Bush. <laughs> like he would be up there <laughs> um, as people who I think are 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 deeply deeply deleterious to yeah <laughs> mom apple pie in the American way. <laughs> um, and and so it it is not lightly that I make that comparison no. to finding a shred or speck of humanity in that person is I think akin to realizing and acknowledging and for a moment basking in the sh- the 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 humanity that the Yankees fans despite all of the claptrap that has been layered onto this season still feel for the person underneath who they've really you know been watching for 20 years sure yeah i mean i can see that i i guess what what rubs me the wrong way is this idea that i as someone who's not a yankee fan am supposed to feel this rapturous stirring for someone who are, are we, though? I, f- I feel like that's all of the messaging that's being thrown at us in terms of the, like, thank you, Jeter commercial that MLB is running. I guess that's true. In terms of every single word out of every single commentator on ESPN's mouth on every game they broadcast. That's true. In terms of, like, you know, um, all of the, the gifts that are being given, all of the articles that are being written about right. who is the real Derek Jeter. Will we ever know? I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. He's Fair. a very good baseball player who I am very happy that my preferred team no longer has to face. Yep. I wish him his well-deserved place in the Hall of Fame, and I don't really want to think about him anymore. Yep. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, we have, I suppose, reached the end of our... Which would in some ways imply that there was a beginning and a middle. <laughs> Of our yammerings for the evening. Um, we are the Baltimoreans, and you can find us at bmorons.com. If the spirit does move you, and maybe it moved you more at the beginning of the show than it does now. <laughs> Hard to say. To cruise over to the iTunes store and leave us a review, we would very sincerely appreciate it. And we would also like to let you know that you can find us on Twitter at bmorons, and that the music on the show this evening was the theme song written and performed by Marshall York, the song Birdland by the band Weather Report playing between segments, and here on the outro, it's Kicking My Heart Around by the Black Crows. You've already used prosciutto, right? I can't remember. You must have already used prosciutto. I feel like it has to have happened. Uh, uh, Alan. Yes, Sam. Who is Henry Yerudia's favorite... Fox News talking head. Megan Kelly? 
No, but she is mine. <laughs> Neil Cavurudia. Rudia Toe. Nail it. Nail it. Yuck. Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at baltimoresportsreport.com. <laughs>